Uh, I, I think we allow our fear to hijack our dreams and our vision. Yo ho ho, it is time to have fun, fellow life adventurer and podcast listener. This is my 100th podcast. And in honor of this occasion, I have a very special friend that I have interviewed, Coot Blackson, one of the most extraordinary spiritual leaders of our time. He was giving sermons and preaching in his father's church in Ghana, his father being a revered spiritual leader worldwide at the age of eight. He has not stopped and he now takes his process, the breakthrough experience to individuals, to stadium events, to Fortune 500 companies, and he has this ability to kind of pierce our barriers and see ourselves so that we can gain traction and live a life that was always there waiting to be lived. Due to the magic of our existence in these sacred jungles of time and space, I want you to sit back, enjoy this 100th podcast with none other than my friend, Coot Blackson, who will be speaking directly to you. Tonight, as you heard, everybody, we have the great privilege of 75 minutes with none other than Coot Blackson. I met Coot a number of years ago, and we've stayed friends this whole way. You know, sometimes you meet somebody, you feel like you've known them forever, and that was the case with my feelings to Coot Blackson. And I think you're going to feel exactly the same once you have the opportunity to get to know him a little bit if you don't already through this session of mindful magic uh, this mindful magic series was the brainchild of johnny padel and uh, I, I signed up immediately because this is where we bring theory to practice this is where we take the esoteric spiritual woo woo that so thrills most of us and we come up with concrete baby steps and we have models to emulate we have ideas that will give you traction so that soon like myself and coot you will no longer believe in magic nor miracles they ain't no thing just everyday commonplace occurrences when you understand the nature of reality so let me tell you a little bit about coot he was born in ghana west africa to a Japanese mother and a Ghanaian father. And his father was a revered spiritual minister that spoke to and uh, held reign over 300 churches in which Kut was speaking at the age of eight years old. By 14, he was a minister in his father's churches in Ghana, uh, and he was destined to take over um, leadership, the helm of this spiritual West African movement. But, you know, this is so coot. Uh, his heart said, nay, you know, uh, this red carpet may have a lot of bells and whistles, but there was something else calling him. Um, he finished his education in London, England, uh, and then finally did what we must all do at some point in our life, and that is leap into the unknown into uncertainty, um, and so he did. And now he is a renowned spiritual 
leader the world over. Um, he recently released a book by, I think it was Simon & Schuster, a big New York publisher, uh, You Are The One. I absolutely love that book. And uh, let me bring him on to, the, to your monitor right now. Everybody, please welcome Coot Blackson. Good to be here. It is so good to see uh, you, Coot. Great to you, be here, brother. You're shining. Oh, yeah, it's all the lights in my bald head. <laughs> So I'm in Florida. You are where? I'm back in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is home and uh, here I am, the, the Wild West of well, Hollywood. Thank you so much for being part of this series. No, thanks for having me. Um, we have a, a, an exciting 75 minutes or so ahead of us. And uh, just to kind of get everybody on the same page, I just want some background, Coot. Um, I already know who you are. And incidentally, as Noah said, everybody, if a question comes to mind, we will be doing Q&A towards the latter part of this session in about 45 to 50 minutes. And this time, if you like, instead of just raising your hand, you can type into the little dialogue box your questions where they will sit patiently until we have the chance to to get over. But I'm sure you're going to have some questions of this guy who is personally mentored, guided, coached. Um, many success stories and uh, go ahead and, and just if you will Coot, yeah. tell us what has brought you to this day being yeah. the that you are you know uh, in a nutshell as you mentioned I was born in Ghana West Africa my father's from Ghana my mother's Japanese two total extremes coming together and uh, I grew up in London so I was raised in London UK which I hated by the way now now I'm in LA uh, the U.S., which I love. I love the U.S. I feel like it's, it's home in many ways, even though it's intense times right now. My first memories, really, as a young boy, Mike, was two things. Two things really impacted me, and I think uh, served as a foundation for what I do today. I remember as a young boy feeling a deep, deep burning desire and calling to serve humanity, this deep sense of purpose, this deep unexplainable, unquenchable fire. Like I, I had to make a difference in people's lives. I didn't know the form and I didn't know the structure of what that would look like, but it was, it was what was in my heart. But I, I remember being around age five, age six and being a chubby kid lost in the crowd and seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. You talk about miracles and magic. I, I remember seeing this crippled woman crawling on the floor and uh, I, I literally saw her pick up the sand that this man walked on and wipe it on her face. And uh, so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear. And the same man who sand she picked up uh, would look at, let's say, a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in a wheelchair? Stand up. And uh, the woman would say, but, but obviously I haven't walked in five years. And he would say, do you believe? And she would say, well, yes, I do believe. And he would say, if you do believe, why are you sitting down, stand up? This man was my father. And so I grew up seeing these, these amazing miracles. But for me, they were normal. So I grew up with this sense of possibility. And from age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. Age 14, I was ordained as a minister. Uh, but I became very obsessed from about eight, nine years old with the questions of who am I and why am I here and what's the purpose of life and wh where do I come from? Where am I going? And, and no one seemed to really have answered. So I started uh, sneaking onto my father's uh, library on his bookshelf and reading all of the self-help books from the gurus that are, you know, your friends, some of my friends now, you know, the Louise Hayes, the Chopras, the Marianne's of the world, to the Eastern mystics, the Maharishis, the Ramana Maharishis, the Nisargadatas, the Krishnamurtis, all in a quest to try, to try and figure out this whole 
life gig, you know, and it became mm. my obsession. And, and so 14, I was given a mandate to take over my father's church. And honestly, Mike, I knew in that moment, in the depth of my heart, that that was not my path. I knew it without a shadow of a doubt, but I was afraid. I felt a deeper truth in my heart. I felt a deeper calling moving me in a different direction, but I was afraid to tell the truth. I was afraid to tell the truth because uh, I, I, was, I was afraid of losing my father's love and acceptance. Mm -hmm. I, I was afraid of being outcast. I was afraid of being abandoned. I was afraid of uh, 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 making waves. I was afraid of ultimately being alone. So I sort of went along with someone else's vision for my life and what I found throughout my life is there are no, there's no shortage of people who think they know what's, what's going to be good for you, who think they, they, they know what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. There'll be no shortage of people that will impose their dreams, their ideas, their programming, their conditioning, their limitations on us if we allow it. And, and so my soul, you could say, wouldn't allow it. And I think it's so important that we, we trust the dreams that we've been given. And my dream was to come to the U.S., my dream was to come to the U.S. and teach and do what I'm doing now and meet the people, people like Mike Dooley, you know, meet you guys and study from, from the gurus and the teachers. And, you know, all these folks were my heroes, the Wayne Dyers of the world. So uh, it took, I, w I was chicken, I was afraid, and I did everything I could to not listen to that burning knowing, that calling in my soul. And for four years, I suppressed that knowing for four years. I shut that down for four years. I denied my inner knowing and I think so many of us we have a deeper sense of why we're here we have a deeper sense of our purpose we have a deeper sense of this is what I'm here to do but we're afraid to acknowledge the truth we're afraid to acknowledge the truth because we're afraid of the consequences oh my god if I actually acknowledge the truth Mike that I'm in a relationship that is really not fulfilling then you know I've invested so much into this marriage this relationship what will happen or or Maybe I'm working a job that is really not in alignment with my highest truth, mm -hmm. but oh shit, if I acknowledge that fact, then I might have to leave. And then how am I going to survive? And, and, and the fear starts and the mind starts, you know, the mind becomes full of a whole bunch of negative thinking, not necessarily, yeah. pos not necessarily positive possibilities. So uh, I, I think we allow our fear to hijack our dreams and our vision. And so as a young boy, it took me four years. I mustered up the courage finally. I read a, a book by a man called J. Krishnamurti. You've probably heard of him, an Indian mystic philosopher. And Krishnamurti was like an enlightened guy. And uh, he, when I read his, about his life story, he was being groomed by the theosophists to take over this spiritual organization in India. And when I read his story, he left everything when he was 29, left the organization, left everything behind. He talked about how a free mind is not a conditioned mind. A free mind is not necessarily a Buddhist mind, a Jewish mind. It's not a conditioned mind. It's free from conditioning and programming. And uh, when I read his story, it was like one of those truth moments, you know, when you realize the truth of something, the truth of your heart, that there's no going back. You can lie. You can BS yourself. You can rationalize. You can pretend. You can distract yourself. But there comes moments in our lives where the truth is so palpable. It's undeniable. And yeah. uh, whew, I, I knew I had to leave. And so it took me a few years to, to muster up the courage. And, and one thing that really gave me the courage to follow my dreams was this realization of I looked into my future and I saw my future and I saw the life, you, you called it the red carpet that was rolled out for me. I saw the life of, that my father had mapped out. And I had the sense of, 
sure, I might be successful by his standards. I might be successful by everyone else's standards. I might live everyone else's life, but if I don't have myself, if I'm not being true to myself, then ultimately I have nothing. I, 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 no matter what I achieve in the world, if I'm not truly evolving and being more of who I am, I can't call that success. And so I felt like following the expected path was suicide. And it, it was yeah. the, the, the reality of that, Mike, was so painful that I, I just decided, you know, I had nothing to lose that you could say in, in a certain sense. And I decided that uh, nothing was worth my freedom. And uh, if well, I felt all lucky that you followed your heart. Yes. Yeah. And that's when magic, let's talk about magic. That's when magic happened. You know, I had, I came from a, overall a very, I'm not gonna say poor family, but we didn't have a whole lot because everything belonged to the church. I grew up in the, in the, one of the roughest and poorest neighborhoods in London at the time, which was Peckham, you know, your chances of, uh, getting into some trouble walking down the street was pretty high. You know, I chose not to go to university because I felt life had more to teach me. And I didn't have family support. I had no support from my father. And I felt this burning desire to help people. And I had no idea how I was going to do it. I had no money. I had no resources, to, so to speak. And so I just decided to follow my heart. And I just said a prayer. I said, universe, I believe our dreams choose us. And I believe our dreams choose us because somehow based on our life experience, based on our pain, based on our trauma, based on everything that's ever happened to us, good, bad, and in between, we have been perfectly marinated and ripened and, 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 and cooked to be able to deliver our unique message, to be able to, to fulfill the dream that we've been given. So I believe our mm -hmm. dream is us. And so for me, my dream was to come to the U.S. And so I, I felt like, well, okay, if my dream has chosen me, then it doesn't belong to me. And if it doesn't belong to me, then it belongs to life. And if it belongs to life, then life, I said, life, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to fulfill and manifest the dream through me. I will say yes. So I said yes. And my dream was to come to the US, come to America. And I had no idea how I was going to do it, Mike. But I believe that whenever we are true to ourselves, whenever we are whenever we live in alignment with our deeper soul's integrity, that's when the universe really supports us, you know? And uh, yeah. cut a long story short, I won a green card and I came uh, in, in the lottery, literally a green card in the BV1 lottery and came to the US, two suitcases, one suitcase full of uh, clothes, the other suitcase full of about uh, 60 to 75 personal growth books from the legends. A thousand dollars, and you, no one in in the, in the country, as an eighteen-year-old boy, just following my soul, and that began my odyssey and journey, and went and found teacher after teacher after teacher. How many years ago was that? Wow, this was eighteen, nineteen years ago. Wow. Yeah. Now let I've got that. That raises so many questions. Yeah, I mean, I could keep going, but let that's me, a little bit of my journey. Let me set the stage by asking you a series of short questions that I've asked. The others in the series. Each one, you get a minute to answer. Oh, man. Who okay. is your God? Who is my God? My question. My, I, I would ask another question in response to that, and it would be, Who is not my God? Because for me, everything is God. You are God. Every single aspect of life, and every single one, we are all a manifestation of the one source. And to me, the divine God is just a label. God is just a concept. God is not a thing or, or a person or a form. So. What is not my God? You're my God. Donald Trump is my God. Mother Teresa is my God. Everything is a manifestation of that. God is a God itself is a concept, but it's an energy that is that is manifesting in the multiplicity of forms. So, you know, uh, 
Yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, I, we could keep going, but <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I think, um, I think, uh, I think I'm a white Coop Blackson, or you're a Black Mike Dooley. I don't know. <laughs> That's so, what, what is spirituality to you? Well, you know, uh, you know, uh, a risk of sounding repetitive. What is not spirituality? Exactly. You know, anything can be a spiritual. We we have these. Uh, we create separations like this is spiritual and that's not spiritual and if i go to temple that's spiritual but washing this isn't spiritual is making love spiritual praying is spiritual it's like to me everything is spiritual it's really about uh the attention within ourselves and the depth of our own consciousness so i I believe that spirituality isn't simply something you do it's what we are it's the depth of when we are connected to our spirit our true nature and the degree to which we don't just talk about that philosophize about that but the degree to which we actually live that so to me what is spiritual spiritual is loving spiritual is 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 kindness spiritual is the expression of our spirits in action moment to moment to moment to moment to moment and that could be changing your kids diapers could be the most special moment and it's the recognition of who i am as spirit and who you are as spirit and the recognition that we are being lived by the same source we are being lived and breathed by the same source and then i get to worship you mike and you get to worship you get to worship when you're with your child you get to worship your child as a manifestation of god so then every moment becomes a spiritual moment. So yeah, yeah. And I love it when people are wondering, you know, what should I do about my dream? I say, take baby steps. Like what? Meditate? No, like cold call. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, that, it's all spiritual. spiritual. It's all spiritual. Yeah. So what would you say in a couple of sentences is your core message to humanity? Wow, that's, that, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, <clears throat> You know, there's so many things I would say, but I would say ultimately, I believe that each of us, we are whole, perfect, and complete. We are a manifestation of the divine, and we've simply forgotten, and we are here to remember who and what we are. Uh, Life is loving us. If you look at life, we are being loved unconditionally every single moment. You, I would say to humanity, you are perfect. You are whole. You are a living work of art. Many times we judge ourselves and we think, oh, I'm not enough and I'm not this and I'm not that. I would say to everyone, you've been created by God, whatever that means to you. You've been created by the, the, the divine and the divine is an incredible artist, makes no mistakes. So I think... When we recognize that there's nothing we need to do or be to be to, to earn some love from anyone or anything, when we recognize what we are, which is perfect, whole, and complete, then we can rest in that realization and just be who we are. So beautiful and poetic. Thank you, Coot. Um, couple more. A couple more questions, and then I got to get to your story and to your okay. successes. Um, I know that in my life, particularly. As a teacher, it's about the word I use for to describe what I do the last 16 years, you know, I've had a few of my own major epiphanies. My like, oh, geez, you know, that's incredible. That applies to me. That's what I most needed to hear. And so often we teach what we most need to learn. Maybe you've just given me some of your uh, ahas or epiphanies over the last 15, 16 years that you've been a teacher and on this path of helping others. But what would you say are maybe two or three of your own personal revelations? Like, wow, you really got it. 
you thought you had it before, but you really got it. I mean, could be anything, whether it's love or appreciation of your own completion or patience or service or, or none of the above. It could be, could be, it might not be gigantic to other people, but it was gigantic to you. What might that be for you? You know, I had an epiphany years ago that was so profoundly simple, Mike. Uh, and it was this epiphany, this sense. I remember this was years ago when I first moved to the U.S. in that zone. But it was, it, it's, it's such a simple thing, and yet it's still applicable each moment. I remember sitting around, struggling, having not very much, and being mad at the world, being pissed off at God. My father couldn't feel I had the support from my father. Um, I felt like if I, if I was just following what I felt the universe was telling me to follow, somehow everything should just effortlessly and magically unfold. And to be honest, I felt like it wasn't magically unfolding, you know, and I was, I was mad and I was upset. I felt betrayed by life. And I was, I was in this state of victimhood, whining, complaining, feeling sorry for myself, which are all very, not very empowered states. And, uh, there was a moment and I don't know, it was like a talk about epiphany. It was like a moment of grace where I literally got the sense that no one owes me anything. No one owes me, any, like God owes me, owes me nothing. Wow. And it was just, something was released for me in that moment. I realized my dad, my, my dad doesn't owe me anything. I, he's gifted me life. I think it would be nice. It would be in, in an ideal world, you know, but the fact he's given me life is such a profound gift. And then this sense of God doesn't owe me, owe me anything. I, you and I, we've been given so much every second. It was the sense of just feeling just this body, you know, the ability to move, to breathe. There are trillions of, of, of processes, trillions of miraculous processes that are happening just for us to be able to have this conversation, to see colors, to see lights, all of the things that are occurring just for you and I every single day to be able to just digest our food, to even taste, to taste uh, ice cream, to the feeling of an orgasm. All these things are just, and here I was just complaining about, you know, why isn't this happening and why doesn't God love me? And this sense of feeling disappointed, you know? And, and so when I really got that, that's when I really felt, when I just tuned in just to my body and everything, it wasn't, it was beyond gratitude. It was just a realization of the nature of the unconditional love of the universe. How every single moment, because I was feeling so unloved and I was feeling separate. So the other thing is realizing like, we're not, we are not separate, we are not alone. And it was, so it was this feeling of the unconditional love of the universe and how life, every single moment, every breath I take is proof, is yeah. proof of how much we are lo being loved by life. And this was, I mean, it was such a simple idea, but just like, wow, I'm being loved by life every single second. Talk about, talk about magic. It's ma like, how is that happening? It's magic, you know, but so often we don't bring our attention to that, to that moment to moment grace that is unfolding for us. So how did you harness that? What did you do with that? You were there feeling sorry for yourself, impatient, wanting transformation. And suddenly you realize 
you know, everything was handed to you on a silver platter and nobody owes you jack. Yeah, I, I had to give I mean, up the, any sense of entitlement and, 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 and take full response. It was the willingness to then take full responsibility, like conscious full responsibility for my life. This mm-hmm. sense of no one's going no one's gonna to do it for me. My dad's not going to do it for me. So I just sat there and I forgave my dad. And I forgave my dad for all the things I thought he did. And the reality is, if I was told at the beginning of my life before I incarnated that all your father's going to do is give you the seed and that's it. And that, I would have taken that trip. Oh yeah. Oh and, yeah. And, you know, I would have been like, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. And been in gratitude. So what that did was force me to take that level of responsibility. I forgave my dad. I forgave all these people that I had these expectations on and realized they don't owe me anything, you know? And it just, it freed me up. It freed me up to, to just love, it freed me up to be, it freed, me, it freed me up to take action and not just sit around like waiting for Oprah to knock on my door. And I realized, you know, Oprah's not gonna knock on my door with a million dollars and say, hey, I've been, I've been waiting for you. I've been looking downtown LA just for you to give you the million dollars. You know? And I realized, you know, hey, if I'm a little overweight, you know, Mike Dooley's not gonna go to the gym on my behalf and, and, and do soul cycle and, and, and lose 30 pounds for me. I'm going to have to do it. And so it, it, it forced me to take talk about action. It forced me to really get into action in my life. In wow. A big way, you know, in a Love big it. Way. And not just talk the talk, but to, to take my spirituality, to take my, my loving off of the shelf and really go do it, really go live it, really go demonstrate it uh, in life. Wow with those around me. So that, that's what it did for me. It was, it was really- That incredible. is so powerful and so appreciated. What a, what a share, incredible. We could end right now, but I'm gonna keep you for 45 more minutes. No problem. Um, tell me one more epiphany come to mind like that that was so actualized by you, so one minute you didn't know, and the next minute- You know, you, you know th- yeah, th- there was a moment when, when I went to India for the first time and Wow, this was, it's so hard to describe this because very esoteric moment, but talk about epiphany. I went to India for the first time and I would run along the Ganges River every morning and I would sit with gurus, saints, sadhus, you know, seekers, Indian mystics and that would be roaming and I would sit and meditate next to them right on the banks of the Ganges. I was in India, in, in Rishikesh uh, for a month and one day, I remember sitting and seeing the river flowing. And it was this beautiful scene of just seeing this river flowing. Everything was flowing. And it was the sense of watching the river. And it was like going into a trance, Mike, watching the river and seeing how one wave went into another wave and blended into another wave. And it was a sense of like, where does one wave end and where does another wave begin? And feeling the sense of how we are all a river of humanity flowing from the same source, flowing together as one wave called Mike Dooley and one wave called Coop Laxon and another wave called Johnny and Allison and Noah and whoever, you know, Jason. And, you know, we're all these waves, but we're all really. So it was this moment of just everything in that moment went so lucid. And every, it, it was like everything that was solid in that moment just dissolved into this realm of just energy and and it was the sense that there was nothing that was separate there there was no separation between me over here and that mountain over there and that person over there it was like we were just being lived by that that one 
source, the one function, the one life force energy. And so it, the sense of separate self that we often so live inside of and we hold onto as a form of identification called me uh, dissolved. And that sense of I'm separate just dissolved. And it was this profound impersonal sense that there is only one in that this entire experience of life is a one man being woman person show. And wow. the sense of we are all being done by that consciousness. Me, you, Donald Trump, Obama, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Hitler, you know, I mean, Mike Dooley. Yeah. Wow. Everyone. And, and, and so it was just the sense that everything is arising from that source as this, as this play, you know? And so wow. what, 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 it was the sense of feeling my sense of meanness shatter and all that was left was no separation. And so when I look, it was this weird thing, like when I looked around and saw all these people that didn't seem separate from me, all that was present was love. Yeah, they looked different. They spoke different. There were different ages, but all that was present was this over, you could say it was an awakening to the depth of what, I, what we are, which is that sense of love force, love. And, and so when I looked around, I just felt this overwhelming sense of love for what wow. was no longer an other. And so uh, that was a huge epiphany beyond the mind. It was, a, it was like this internal realization. Well, I love the way you described it because I think you just took all of us there with you and I could totally feel it like it was happening to me. And that makes me want to ask, although I can draw some conclusions and, and had my own experience just now, how did that affect you the next day and the rest of your life? How does that factor into yeah, your approach? The sense of separation, like feeling separate from Mike and Johnny and Susie, and, and, and it just dissolved. And so how it affected me was the sense of, I was no longer seeing just, because I was no longer seeing myself as just this physical form, you know, as just this, physical little body that what I was was so much more and so as I would look at people it was like looking right through people and connecting on such a deep level you know so the sense of separation and aloneness and and you could say on some level that 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 the competitiveness that comes from feeling the illusion of being separate and egoicness shifted you know so I know it was it was like a deep awakening of, of, of love and a desire to, to feel, it was, it was also a feeling how everything was interconnected, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and, and beautiful, interdependent. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I'd like to share with everybody. Um, one of the things you have done in the last years as a teacher, I don't think you do it now as much as you used to, but uh. you would, you were available for hire for a very significant fee to take the one person hiring you to somewhere either in Africa, and we're not talking 
you know, uh, a Kenyan safari. Uh, we're talking about, you know, somewhere remote, somewhere off the, the map, or to India, yes. or perhaps, uh, you know, Asia. I don't know where you took all these people to, but I know that you have taken many people, generally super high achievers, uh, extraordinary people, we're not at liberty of mentioning names, to these places for, uh, I believe, how long, 20 days, 30 days, 60 days, and it was just you and them and transformation. And uh, it was good and bad and ugly, and I can't even imagine um, quite all that you went through undoubtedly you saw their soul i'd like you to explain the process and then tell me tell all of us please what was probably a recurring pattern Mm. you would see and people who would be kind of maybe their 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 beliefs or their limits were broken down maybe their ego was broken down uh they they were humbled they cried tears of sadness, tears of joy, they found their power, they were born again. What's the, what's the pattern you see? Because we're all made of the same stuff and whether or not someone's a celebrity or a multimillionaire or they work you know, you know, at, a, at a very you know, simple job in the local mall, um, we all are learning the same things and we all get broken down and built up so what is the process you take people through? And what so, would yeah. be the pattern that, that you could describe to us so that we could almost experience it and learn yeah. this? So, so yeah, got it. So, so just in a simple way, the process was called the liberation experience. In a nutshell, it came about from my first journey to India when I ended up on the back of a train my, in the poorest state in India called Bihar. And I sat with the poorest people in the world in the sardine can situation for eight hours and my heart broke feeling the suffering of humanity and I looked in this woman's eyes we had five kids her one of the heads the head of her kid was hanging off the train and I thought if he died no one would care and my heart my heart broke feeling how can we live in a world where we take people to the moon and we have iPhones and and technology and and we can't feed people and then I had this vision what would it be like if George Bush, Bill Clinton, Oprah, the Google guys, people in leadership positions were on this train having this experience of awakening and opening and transformation and how would they use their resources to impact the world feeling that we are all interconnected. And I forgot about that, built my coaching company. And uh, about 10 years ago, I had this vision, you know, and it became the liberation experience. It was specifically to India. Uh, and it's, it started out as a 14-day, 24-7, non-stop transformational, experiential immersion journey to India where I take one person, I take you to India, take away your passport, take away your money, take away every, you know, take away every element of control from you, uh, make you sign your will in case you don't come back, make you write letters to everyone, your kids included, your wife, everyone in your life in case you don't come back, ultimately make you confront death because what I found is so many, talk about common denominator, so many of us, we are avoiding our mortality. We are avoiding death. The body, I think, will die. I mean, now there's technology and who knows, but at least up until now, I mean, you know, Jesus, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, David Bowie, Mother Teresa, uh, Bob Marley, everyone, the body has expired. The soul is infinite, lives on forever. That is ultimate, you know, immortality. But, you know, so far, the body will die. And so, uh, for me, it was a process of just facing one's death because I feel so many of us were so busy avoiding death, resisting death, that were that 
we're not really free to live. And I think when we face the fact, you know, at some point I'm going to die and, and, and life is short. Life gives no refunds. I better get on with the sense of living, you know? So for me, it wasn't a morbid thing. Making friends with death, I felt was a very important part of living a full life now. And so uh, I would have people face death and I, I would put them, I'd take them to India and I'd put them in situations that, that took away all levels of control because, you know, Mike, what I found is we think that we're free, but the moment you take away someone's iPhone and someone's clothes and someone's makeup and someone's title and someone's bank account, someone's identity, uh, often that freedom collapses. So for me, that sense of freedom that someone like a Mandela experienced where he was 27 years in prison, where his freedom wasn't dependent on all these external props. That was the kind of freedom I was trying to crack my clients open into so that they could be free under more and more conditions. And I was into all those unresolved places in their life from their childhood, from their past, with their parents, anything that was restricting their flow of self-expression and their, their ability to give their gifts to the world. You talk about what was a common denominator. And I think this is important for people to consider. And I think this might be of value. What I found working with clients, again, from, from billionaires to children to mothers and everything in between was we're born whole, complete. I believe as children, we're born in touch with the essence. We're unconditioned. We're free. These, these magnificent beings, you look into a child's eyes, a child is full of light, full of essence. A child will jump on the table and sing and dance. And, and it doesn't care if it's not Adele. It doesn't care if it's a little chubby or fat. It doesn't care if it can't sing. It just expresses itself, you know? But uh, so with these free beings, and then we, our parents, now you're an unusual parent, Mike, but you know, for most of us, I think you know, some of our parents, we a little crazy, you know, they're unusual, they're unique, they have their own issues, they've been conditioned by their parents and their parents. So they're just doing the best that they can do. So we meet our parents, and maybe we face pain, trauma, abandonment, abuse, neglect, whatever, we, we all have our stories, you know, we all have our stuff. And so two things I found happen. The first thing that occurs is we, we start learning a protection mechanism as a way to shut down, disconnect and not feel. And we start suppressing parts of ourselves just to be able to cope with our environment as children, often unconsciously as a survival mechanism. And then we learn a way of being, we go out into the world and we learn a way of being the sense of who do I need to be in order to, to be loved by my dad? Who do I need to be in order to fit in? Who do I need to be in order to, to, to get love, to be approved? So we become this, you know, so we develop masks and personas and an identity that we then contort ourselves into for a sense of avoiding pain, being loved. And we become this character called Coot, called Mike, you know, and we think, no, it's just, this is just who I am. So really, you know, who we often become until we start becoming aware is simply a conditioned version of ourselves. So what we have to be willing to do is question ourselves. To truly be free, I think we have to be willing to question, is who I am who I really am, or is it simply who I've been conditioned to be? And go beyond our conditioning and question our conditioning so that we can truly be free. And that's really what I do with my clients in India, is, is have them question who am, who am I? Who am I really? What, and have them take a look at what masks have I been wearing? What masks have I been wearing? And how have those masks that I've been wearing come into being? You know, and, and, and I think, to me, transformation begins as we start becoming conscious. So mm. that's the work that really happens in India. And it's really about helping clients get in touch with 
of the truth, the truth of who they are. And many times, the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we often say, you know, oh, I'm a free person. I have access. I, I, I'm a free person. I have free will. I, I, most, most people that come to me I say, you're not actually free. The degree to which you're conditioned is the degree to, you, to which you actually don't have the ability to freely choose. You are often being run by the programming and conditioning of your past. And so the more we free ourselves is, and then from that unconscious conditioning of our past, we are deciding what we want in life. We are deciding our goals, our dreams and desires. And what I found as a theme, recurring theme is many of my clients, they would get what they thought they wanted based on who they thought they were. And they might even achieve it only to realize this car is not really what I want, Mike. This house isn't really what I want. This career is not really what I want. It's what I thought I wanted. So until we're really in touch with who we are, you know, truly as we peel those layers of way of who, who we've been taught to be, who we've been conditioned to be, which takes a tremendous amount of courage as a process, until we peel those layers away, we're not in touch with the truth of who we are. And I think that's really my work and, and I know some of what you do. And, and to me, yeah. when we connect to that, then we can truly create an authentic life. So the two things that you are saying that, that you see repeat, the two epiphanies, the two realizations, one is we, we were not as free as we thought we were. Yes. Uh, we didn't know what freedom really was. It was so conditioned. conditioned. And, the, and then the other one was how conditioned we are or, or what was the second thing that... that uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's the realization of the degree to which we're conditioned and that who we are is actually not who we think we are. It's simply who we've been conditioned to be because we often say, oh, I'm just, Mike, I'm just a shy guy. I'm just shy. It's just who I am. And what I'm saying... Don't be so sure about who you are. I know we're told in personal growth, be sure who you are. I'm actually saying, be willing for a moment <laughs> to not be so sure about who you, who you are for a moment and start a process of questioning so that you can get in touch with a deeper truth and then align your vision and your goals based on the truth, the true authentic, based on your true authentic nature. And how do people's natures and how does their authenticity emerge after a trip like that? How did yours change when you returned uh, back to wherever you were living, L.A. or London, after that, after that first trip to London? I mean, your, your students, if you will, they, they all of a sudden have discovered they weren't free. They all of a sudden discovered that they weren't who they thought they were. What kind of realignment of priorities? What, what do you see take hold? What, what do you see happen? Emulate this minute. Well, I mean, I saw wow. many, many of my clients come back and realize I'm, 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 in a, I'm in a relationship that is completely not aligned and get divorced, you know, and, and that was very challenging. But what they realized was a deeper truth of I'm living a lie. I'm living a lie. And so I believe you can't truly be happy while living a lie, you know, and, wow. and you can't. I mean, you can pray to God, you can meditate, you can do yoga, and God's just going to say, tell the truth, feel the truth, yeah. speak the truth. So, so that was one. I saw many, many people totally renegotiate and transform their relationships. I saw many people transform their physical health. One of my, one of my clients came back and realized that the job and the work he was doing, he was very successful. Uh, he was no longer passionate about anymore. He was simply doing it because he had succeeded at it and he was living inside of 
what we'll call the trap of success, doing more of what I, I'm doing simply because it's worked in the past, but I'm not passionate about it anymore. You know? So one question I, I asked him and I would ask those listening, if you're not passionate about your life and, and, and you're doing simply what works, take a look at what's actually working in your life and how is actually doing more of what's working inhibiting and limiting the next level of your evolution. How is doing more of what's working actually inhibiting the next level of what God, the divine, your soul is seeking to express through you? Because sometimes we get comfortable just doing what works, even though we know we need to grow. And so to me, the next level of our life will require that we let go of who we've been. It will require that we let go of what we know. It will require that we let go of, of what is no longer in alignment so that we can graduate to that next level. So my invitation also is, is ask yourself, what's, what's, what's scary for you? You know, what's, what's, what, what terrifies you a little bit? Cause I feel like that's, that's where often the next level, the edge of our growth is what's scary. I would also ask people listening in, what would you do if money was not an issue, if it wasn't about the money and actually be honest about that? And then also, if you were to start again, because sometimes we get so caught up in the trap of success, if you were to start over again, your life, your business, your relationship, if you were to be at the beginning, would you be doing what you're currently doing now? If you can't say yes, then you might, then you have an, then you have a unique opportunity to recreate and reinvent yourself. And so, so Mike, there's actually four questions, you know, I would well, love to share if that would be cool. I love it. I love those questions. Let me rephrase yes. them so that we all have these at a cellular level. You know, what's working in your life and what would be wrong if you gave it more energy or attention or how might that not serve you? Was that kind of a, a trick question. What, what's working in your life and how is doing more? Because we tend to do more of what's working. But just because you're, you're doing what's working doesn't mean it's, it's going to make you grow or evolve. So what's working and oh. or where are you succeeding and how is doing more of that actually limiting the next level of your life? Aha, aha. So how is it limiting? Because we we like, oh, this is working. I'll just keep doing this for another 20 years. But we're no longer growing. We're basically living dead. We're living in a museum of the past, a museum of ourselves. Wow. So the I think the tail end of that question, what's working? And if we kept doing it, what would it infringe on? Yes. That is the crux of the situation because that thing that it's infringing on you cared about it enough that it just showed up yes maybe it deserves some respect yes the second question is what scares you yes um you know i could only think in my the crucible of my my journey <laughs> in my life 16 years ago 17 rock bottom the thing that scared me the most was, you know, it felt like I had something to say. And I was saying it through emails that turned into notes from the universe. And the thing that scared me the most is like, you know, what if I had to like really stand up and speak this right, stuff, which was right. the only way I could imagine making money at what I was doing at the time. So I was like, I have to go down that path. It's the path I most don't want to go down. Yes. So in that sense, what scared me the most um, was exactly the direction I needed to go. Yes. And now it doesn't scare me. It's like one of the funnest things I do in my life. Right. Is that, I mean, 
does everybody have that kind of a fear or maybe perhaps talking about it as we're doing right now, people are realizing what their fear is and it's, is it usually in the direction of expansion? I, I feel it is. I think there comes a point where we master where we're at, uh, hopefully, you know, some of us maybe never, but, but let's just say you get good at doing what you're good at and then we have to grow. And then we have to evolve. Life is a process of continual evolution. Now, to me, success in life is not just about what you attain and achieve, but the degree to which you grow and become more and more of who you truly are and express that. So we have to go where it's a little scary and not just, oh, yeah, I can wake up and I can give. It's just like, you know, you're a speaker. Mike. I can wake up and just give the same speech I've always given. Or I can, or I can write that same book I've always written. But no, I'm going to, I'm going to, take a limb and maybe write that book that yeah, I'd be nudged to write. It's a little scary, but I know this is the next evolution of my work. And I think you've taken that leap, you know, right? In your last book, I remember you told me with your last book, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little expanded. It's a little edgy. It's a little, and, it, and I read, and I read it and it was amazing. Thanks. I mean, it was, it was amazing. So I think there comes a point where the life that we have created for ourselves become, becomes too small for who we are seeking to become. And in that moment, unless we let go, we constipate the flow of the divine moving through our life. We constipate the flow of our life. And that's when either things fall apart, things stop, we get sick, challenges occur, because those challenges are simply life's, life's way of, of forcing evolution. Yeah. Yeah. You're very powerful, very powerful. And boy, I appreciate that. Okay, then uh, the third question is, if money was not an object, what would I do, correct? Yeah, and that's just um, to expand your, you know, that's just to give yourself a, a sense of expansiveness. Let's just take money out of the equation because so many people uh, limit the, their thinking, as you know, with, oh, I don't have the money. Just, just think from, no, no, but I, just, just let yourself get creative and think. To me, it's never about the 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 resources, it's always about the level of the resourcefulness. And I believe that encoded in any dream and vision, as you know, is also the seed for its fulfillment. That, that's why I believe that dream, our dreams have been given to us by the divine, by the infinite, by life. So it, in life, that intelligence knows how to bring it about, but we, we, we put the limit on, on, yeah. on, on the vision and the dream. Wow. Well, I know. I, I wrote notes from the universe for, uh, for a living, and uh, that was so unconventional, and to this day makes not a penny. But <laughs> my God, I was just following this inner urge, and it has made everything else possible. Yeah. The fourth question was, uh, if, you are to, if you were to start over today, for whatever reason, good, bad, or ugly, you're forced to start your life over, what would you start? Was that the question? That was the question. Yeah. That's pretty powerful too, and it, it just distills everything down into to to pure essence. So, it's, and so many people might say, "Well, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today." So, my question would be, "Then why the hell are you doing it? Why, <laughs> why are you still doing it if that is not the most authentic expression of who you are? Then you're just living in the past. You're just living in a museum in the past." break up with the past you know we get romantic we get romantic about our past so what i'm saying is don't get romantic about your past break up with your past so you can invoke new expressions new ideas you know and sometimes we we we, we don't let go because when the scarcity of i'll never have it this good again i'll never find anyone this amazing again i'll never have be able to recreate that success again and 
we're stuck in scarcity. And I think it's important to remember the universe, as you know, I mean, the universe is abundant. It really is abundant. I mean, we, the, the, the same intelligence that is living, that is birthing the sun, the moon, the stars, breathing 7 billion people is that same intelligence that's living and breathing you and I. So yeah, let's have a little faith in, in, in that. And I've also found that, that you don't have to do it right. You don't have to do anything right or answer it perfect. If you just make a feeble attempt, there's such latitude and leeway. We're so inclined to succeed naturally. The universe will connect the dots, pick up the slack, and Bob's your uncle, as the British like to say. I want to remind everybody that you can ask questions if you'd like to ask questions live right now in the Q&A panel. And uh, go ahead and type out your questions if you have any. As I as I go through a few more questions for Coot that I have up my sleeve. The next one, Coot, given the wide variety of people you've seen, that you've worked with, given your own life experiences, what would you say, and, and this question was asked of me uh, by an audience member a decade ago, and I, I often revisit it in my own mind, but what would you say is the main distinguishing factor that makes people wildly successful. And I know we can define success a lot of ways, and it might be money, it might be this, you know, but, the, but there are some people out there that just kind of seem to have a dream and, and never take no for an answer, and they just plow, it, plow away until it happens. And, and they're in every field and profession, and they're often the least likely candidates. And maybe I partly answered that, but, but is yeah. there... What, what is like the one main thing that people who are wildly good at manifesting deliberately, let's put it that way, uh, what's the one thing they do or the trait they have in common? It's a tough question. And the only reason I'll say, and I won't harp on it, but the only reason I'll say it's a tough question because I think, you know, you, you touched on it is it, it depends what we mean by success. And it depends what we want to manifest, you know? So we could say is, Donald Trump wildly successful. I mean, is Obama wildly successful? Is, is Bill Gates wildly successful at, at specific things, you know, in terms of bringing about specific results? I just have to I, I'll answer it from my, you know, you have a bunch of guests on, so I'm going to answer it from my perspective because it might provide a different perspective. For me, success is not simply about the attainment of things in the world. To me, success because you can attain a bunch of stuff and not evolve and grow. So for me, success is the degree to which I am being true to my soul, the degree to which I am growing and evolving and becoming more of who I truly am and learning the lessons for which I was born. And to me, that's, that is success. Manifesting the degree to which I'm manifesting deliberately my destiny, my soul's destiny and that could mean, involve making money and that could mean not making that much money. So for me, people I consider successful are, are folks like Mother Teresa and Nelson Mandela, you know, who was 27 mm. years in prison and to me learned the lessons of his soul and came out not filled with hate, but mm. elevated in his consciousness and brought people together and fulfilled his destiny, became who he was meant to be in this lifetime. And so I look at someone like that and I think wildly successful. I look at someone like Martin Luther King, I think wildly successful. And so for me, when I look at it from that perspective, uh, what I've observed hanging out with some folks in that realm, 
I found that they all surrendered themselves, keyword surrender, surrendered themselves to something beyond their ego, to something beyond their limited sense of self. They surrendered themselves to call it God, life, the divine, the universe. They surrendered to that. And in doing so, they tapped into the totality of the universe and they realized that they were no longer the doer of themselves. They, I think, realized, whether consciously or unconsciously, in that surrender, that life was doing them. And to me, that's when the magic happened, where life was doing MLK Jr. Life was doing Gandhi. Life was doing, and they, and they what I observed is they surrendered. They, what they said was, universe, use me. I'm available. Take me, mm-hmm. use me. I am, I'm willing to be a vessel and a vehicle for you to manifest through. And the universe moved through them and things happened through them in ways that I know, I'm sure that of their own human power, they couldn't have imagined. They right. It was, it was bigger than them. And to me, that's another level of success. So yes, they took action. They were persistent. They woke up. They were crazily committed. They didn't give up. I mean, they aligned themselves and they did the human level work for sure. But I look at each of those people and they were so surrendered. They were so surrendered, you know, and they moved the world. But, but I think if you speak to them, none of those great ones will say, I'm great. It's me. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I, I did it. They will all say, the great one. Whatever you want yeah. to label it. And to me, that's, that's the magic. To me, that is the magic itself. But how do you not lose yourself or devalue yourself? Yes. yes. Uh, how are you led by your own passionate, beating heart? Yes. And at the same time, surrender to a higher being. It's like, to me, I feel like if I surrender, then, then I'm not being me anymore. How do I stoke? Yes. I think, I think all, this is an interesting conversation, I think all, all suffering, suffering comes from the illusion that you are a you. Mm-hmm. To me, suffering comes from this identity. So how did you from this, from come to the United States. I wanted to ask you next, you know, what steps or or lessons did you follow when you stepped into the unknown, you moved to the United States with a thousand bucks and self-improvement books. Um, What, what was kind of your guiding light that people now watching or the, in the recording can emulate in their own pursuit of crafting out joy and One thing, one thing I did was I said, yes, I felt, I felt the calling and I said, yes, I didn't question. I said, I didn't know how it was going to happen. I didn't try and understand how analyze my, analyze the situation. I simply said, yes, in that, yes, the universe opened up. What, what occurred for me was someone handed me a magazine called The Economist. In the back of the magazine said that the American government's given me 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. That was a clue. Then I was willing to follow the clues. Life is constantly giving us clues along the path. And many times we, we, we don't follow the clues. We're like, God, please help me. And God says, here. And we're like, God, please help me. So I think we have to be willing to follow the clues 
that are given to us through people, situations all along the way. And that's what I did. And I just kept saying yes, 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 at different stages of the journey. Wow. And, and exerted your, I guess, did you have some kind of direction within that you wanted? Well, you said so early on. I, you I felt a burning, I felt a burning, burning desire. It was, it was, service. it was a burning desire. I didn't know the exact form, you know, as a young boy, I thought it was going to be a minister until I realized, well, that's not really my path. And I started reading self-help books and I, and I heard, wow, Marianne Williamson is giving, teaching people in hotel rooms. It's not a church. So a whole new possibility opened up, but I was, I was, a, you know, I was, I was scared, you know, I was scared to, to, to follow, go into the unknown you know, yeah. and follow the path. But I feel the level of our freedom is determined by the degree to which we can dance with the unknown. And even when we think we know, we don't really know. Even when we think we know. But there is a part of us, a dimension of our being that knows everything because at that deepest level, we are everything. And so we have to be willing to trust bigger than our mind. And, and so I've just, one thing I've really endeavored to do all along the way is feel the, the depth of truth of my soul and the willingness to not compromise the truth of what I feel and, the, and do the best I can to live that truth. So what's next, what's next for you? So I know you know, and you don't know, and if you do know, you might not be right. Yes, but, but what, what, I'm, what I'm feeling is, is to talk about the next evolution of my work is part of that is taking spirituality and self-help and personal growth and my work and taking it to the mainstream and using media as a vehicle, We're working on a, a TV project uh, right now that will hopefully pop this year, but really mainstream. Take it, how, how do we take this stuff, this field to the mainstream, to that woman in, in Idaho who's never gonna go to Coot Seminar or never going to read necessarily Mike's book until I say, read Mike's book, you know, on my show. But, uh, you know, but, but, but how do we reach the average person? You know, they're just the regular person who's not really, you could say, awake or conscious. For me, that's, that's the next level. That's the next level of, 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 of challenge and, 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 and creative opportunity for me to, to do that in a way that maintains integrity of my message, but artfully can present it. You know? And this excites you? You feel passion for it? I feel it's part of my destiny. I look at what's happened with things like hip hop and people like Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin and, and, and many years ago when hip hop was this obscure genre and no one knew what hip hop was and 30, 40 years later, you can go to Brentwood, Bali, Brussels and kids are singing and rapping to Kanye and Jay-Z hip hop and it's everywhere, it's infiltrated the consciousness of our pop culture. For me, part of my, my the impulse that moves me is to, is to take spirituality and the conversation of who am I really and make that a natural part of our everyday existence where we're not just caught up in the illusion of what we're being seduced and hypnotized by the media to believe, but we're really in touch with the depth of our true source, who we right. are, where we were willing to, to, to really reconnect with that. Yeah. So in your, your pursuit of 
surrender to this objective. Yes. We still kind of created an objective. There's still kind of this, this excites you just like rap excites Jay-Z. And it's I exciting. Think that, I think it's there's, exciting. I call it selfish service. We're doing it because yeah. we most want to do it. This really is how I get. You know, but, but it's an interesting thing, Mike, and I, I have to address that because there's a, there's a part of at least where I'm at where I feel like the question for me is less about now in my life, and this is just me being honest, less about what do I want and more about tuning in, becoming quiet and being willing to feel the deeper impulse of life that is seeking to happen through me and is actually attuning my attention off of what's here and attuning it to the deeper dimension of my being and actually seeking to listen and become one with and feel the impulse that is seeking to express and then align coot, this coot thing with the depth of that impulse. It's like riding a wave. It's like surfing that wave. And so I realized the more I do that, the more things flow because then we're riding a wave. So for me, the question has moved from what do I want from a level up here to really wanting to, 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 to be of highest service to life moment to moment and fulfill my destiny and why I'm here and I'm in the process, have fun and all of that great stuff. But the question has shifted to what is it that wants me? What is it that's seeking to express through me and opening myself to being a vehicle for that is a different question for me uh, and a different kind of uh, goal setting model yeah. that, that I've adopted. Do you, do you think that's uh, something that's suitable for all people that we all will eventually get to that place of like a deep uh, surrender to a greater force coming through us? Or? I, I, be, I, I believe it is the ultimate, I feel it is why we're here. And I some think. people will go deep in and- And some people will get it. And some people ultimately will realize in life they, that you really aren't in control of this whole thing, that there is an intelligence that we are not separate from, that we are essentially, one with that is living us is moving through us and if you look at the great ones jesus buddha lawatsu i mean the enlightened beings they uh, they all talk about this they i'm not saying anything like that new i mean it's it's they were they were one with the nature of reality and the nature of reality the, the, the laws of nature manifested through them that's when miracles happen and that's when we i think realize that the ego the mind can only take us so far, no matter how great it is. But what the soul force can do through us is, is infinite. And so I think we are here to, you know, death, life, the political climate, all of this stuff is just a spiritual process of realizing <laughs> you ain't in control of this thing, man. <laughs> this life has been around for billions of years. And you and me, Mike, we, you know, all suffering comes from the fact we are trying to control this whole thing. And we can't, we got Trump in power. We got this person. Everything is like topsy-turvy. Universe is just sitting there laughing, going, you're in control, my people. There is a deeper intelligence that's running this thing. And the more you kind of surrender to that flow, the freer you'll be. And I think, I think life responds to the level of our surrender. And the level of our surrender determines the level of our freedom. But surrender doesn't just mean 
you know, you just sit on the couch, eat Doritos, watch Jerry's, you know, numb out. To me, that's, that's not surrender because that's not necessarily being in alignment with life. So let's just get that clear. I mean, I work 12 to 15 hours a day, sometimes seven days a week because I can't help myself. It's just, it's, it's just what's happening through me. So I've just surrendered to that. You know? Yeah. Do you have some rituals? I was going to ask you, and so has a Megan t- chimed in. Yes. Do you have a daily ritual? Does it involve meditation? What yes. are your spiritual practices? Sure, sure. One of the, I, I guess this is spiritual. One of the, the, the daily practices that I will not compromise is exercise. Very basic, very simple. I wake up every morning. This is an uncompromisable ritual. Wake up every morning around six o'clock in that zone, 6 30, and I'll go for one hour. I will deal with the foundation of this body since our spirit is housed in this body and I will go exercise. I will do weights. I will do something physical to wake my body up. And then I'll usually just sit and in silence and listen and tune in and meditate for about 20 minutes. So that's kind of a a daily ritual, but the exercise piece, uh, Mike has set the foundation. I used to run every day. I do a combination of things now, but it, it has set the foundation for my life. Even if I have to be at the airport at 5 a.m., I wake up at 2 a.m. and go for a run if necessary because it just, it makes, it makes a huge difference in yeah. my, my mental clarity. And what I found is once I exercise and I start my day that way, there's this sense of if I can wake up and exercise at 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. or 7 a.m., I can do anything, you know, so it, it, it starts to be off in, 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 wow. in an amazing Somebody way. else just asked, what's the most astounding miracle that you have ever witnessed? And similarly, what's the most astounding infiltration of consciousness that you have ever seen? I'm not, I don't know what this I'm not sure is. what the infiltration of consciousness means myself. Uh, the most astounding miracle, it's, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen blind people see as a kid. Uh, with my father, I've seen... People throw away, come in with crutches and he puts hands on them and throw away their crutches. I've seen uh, people in wheelchairs come. This is week after week after week. As I mentioned, I've seen more, 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 on more than one occasion, a woman crawling on the floor, uh, picking up the sand, wiping on her face, standing up. I've seen that numerous, three or four times. Wow. Um, so those are miracles. But you know what I will say? And they're all great and amazing. But... It's easy to look for these esoteric out there miracles, but I think every moment of our life is a miracle. Every breath is a miracle. You know, um, any moment we are able to forgive ourselves, any moment we are able to, to be honest and speak truth, any moment we are able to, to love another and open our hearts after we might have been heartbroken and, and, and hurt is, is a miracle. So I would say don't look for the, extraordinary miracles just live in touch with the simplicity of the sheer magic of just this existence that this is it i mean just breathing just hanging looking at like i'm looking at you mike and i'm thinking oh my god there is the divine looking through those eyes and somehow you're not even here you're in a screen and and we're seeing each other and it's it's just if we really just bring our attention to what is, what is will totally astound us. Yeah. We don't have to look anywhere. It's like, wow. Wow, powerful. Cool. You're on fire, brother. 
Uh, we're about near the very end of our time. Uh, quick question, advice for these uh, Trump years? Yes, advice for the Trump years. Um, I think, you know, old systems are falling apart. And I'm not a Trump supporter. Uh, I'm not a Hillary supporter. I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a humanity supporter. I'm a supporter of love. That's really what I am. But here's, here's what I would say. I believe that we are living in intense times. We're living in challenging times. And, you know, wow, this is going to be interesting. But what I would say is this. I believe that in order for real transformation to happen, in order for real healing to happen, everything that has been suppressed in the shadow, everything that we have denied, suppressed, hidden, covered up underneath the surface has to come to the light. And from my observation, uh, I'm observing, as we, many of us are, many things that have been suppressed, whether it's economically, socially, racially, all the stuff that is now coming to the surface with this, let's say, current administration, I think it's not like it wasn't there. It was there and somehow neatly covered up and suppressed. And, and so all of a sudden, it's coming up very intensely in the form of the government and Donald Trump for us to all see. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy on a spiritual, I think it's easy to project onto Donald Trump and one person and go, he's bad, he's wrong, he's this, he's that, project their anger. And I'm by no means in agreement with some of the stuff he's doing. But I think if we are to truly transform, we have to own that everything is connected. And we have to own the projection within ourselves. What does he represent about myself? What, what does he represent about me? What does he represent about aspects of my own consciousness? How am I Donald Trump within my own self? How do I do that within my own life? And so I think the more we can realize that we are in a, I believe, a profound spiritual process where everything that was suppressed is coming to the surface. And what we do with that will determine what happens. And so we can bring it to the surface own it, heal it, love it, integrate it, release it so that it can be purified so that real light and trans a transformed consciousness can, uh, can emerge again. So I'm actually hopeful and, and excited that we do the work. It is an opportunity for us to all do the inner work, the spiritual work to heal ourselves, the division within ourselves that is represented out there and also do the, the activism, you know, in the world to make the changes and, and bring about the changes necessary in the system as well. So I think it, it has wow. to be in and outer at, at the same time. But if we don't do the inner work and we just project and we project all our anger out there and we don't shift what's in here, you know, outer experience is a manifestation of inner reality. So if we go out and protest and we get we aren't dealing with our own inner division, our own out, out of integrity, our own fear, shame, shadow inside. It just perpetuates. So I think we're living in amazing times and you and I uh, get to do our part in healing ourselves so we can heal the world. Well, well said. Powerful exchange of energy. Coot, Blackson, thank you so, so much. How can people find you after awesome. today? Yeah, a couple Where are you at? What are you up to? 
Where am I at? Uh, two things, a couple of things I'll say, you know, my book is out so that people can go to www.youarethonebook.com. And I want to thank you, Mike, for making an amazing uh, testimonials. One of my favorite testimonials of my book, by the way. You got to read uh, Mike Dooley's testimonials. You earned it, brother. Uh, so youarethonebook.com. People can find me there. Uh, website too, www.cootblackson.com. And if anyone feels inspired for maybe the next level, they, they can go to www.boundless.com blissbali.com and see what lies in store wow well my hat's off to you much love brother thank you johnny pudel agency noah allison allison noah behind the scenes have a great night everybody i'll see you next week and coot can't wait till we catch up again in real life look forward to it good blessing thank you ciao There you have it, fellow podcast listener. Now, let's stay in the zone. If you haven't already, please visit my website, tut.com, where you can sign up along with one million other subscribers for my free daily notes from the universe. You can also find out about my infinite possibility membership for a price you choose. Every single Tuesday, I do a live broadcast, a 30-minute mini manifesting workshop. Members have access to the last 52 mini manifesting workshops. So check it out. And if you have a moment and these podcasts move you, I would be deeply grateful for a review at the Apple podcast platform. Go to tut.com, look for spiritual tune-ups, look for the link for podcasts. If you send us a screen grab of your published review at Apple, We've got a very special bonus waiting for you. Check out the links, read all about it. Thanks for being here and I'll see you on the next podcast installment.